We finish now our series in Revelation, chapters 1 to 3. So we'll just look at a one-off portion of Scripture tonight and pray that the Lord will lead us to that part of His Word where He will have us be next in terms of the series. Um, I don't want to leap into any book without knowing that that is where the Lord would have us be. Uh, so tonight, I would like us to consider some words of encouragement in the middle of one of the bleakest chapters in the whole of the Bible. Jeremiah, his lamentations, there are five, I think, lamentations, song of uh, grief and despair, and yet he doesn't quite reach the point of despair. He gets to the borderlands of despair, and then he turns around as he realizes that he still has God on his side. And they're very well-known verses, so let us read again from Lamentations chapter 3. Through the Lord's mercies, verse 22, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. This is the most personal of all of Jeremiah's lamentations. The word I appears again and again, and his grief is almost overwhelming. Almost gets the better of him. And then there's the turnaround. Um, it's a bit like a heavy shower. Did you get caught in that downpour on the way back from church? I didn't think I was going to make it because the road was flooding. And then, at this time of year, just as suddenly as the skies darkened and the heavens opened, the shower goes away and the sun comes out. And it's wonderful, isn't it? The seasons of clear shining that cheer us after rain. And it can be like that in the spiritual life. We can be in a storm, personally, corporately, and we think that it's never going to get uh, any worse. And then, just as when we think we've reached the bottom, there's a turnaround. And the sun of righteousness shines into our situation, and everything seems more fresh than even before the storm. And we can say with Jeremiah the words that are here under consideration tonight. I'm sure it's not just Jeremiah who's had that experience. Many of you here, as God's children, and the older you get as a Christian, the more you can understand what Jeremiah is going through. How good is our God to bring us through these horrible, horrible times in order that we can learn more of him. So there's one truth here 
about God I want to bring out tonight and how Jeremiah in these verses has learned something about uh, this. Can you guess what it is? God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Aren't you glad tonight that our God is faithful? Now then, three things about what Jeremiah learnt concerning God's faithfulness. He didn't learn this in Bible college. He learnt it in the school of Christ, the best school that there is. Now the first is this. He learnt God's faithfulness in the midst of the afflictions that he's going through. So even before the turning points, when things begin to clear, it's while he's in the middle of the storm that the faithfulness of God really, really comes home to him. Uh, this is uh, just a very dark experience. Uh, verse 1, I'm the man, I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. There's mention of no light. Verse 2, He's walking completely in darkness. Have you had that experience as a Christian? Completely in the dark. And then uh, he says he's aged. Verse 4. My flesh and my skin have got older and my bones have been broken. And then it's not just inside of him, but everything seems to be going wrong for him. He's trapped. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe and he feels like somebody who is about to die not physically but emotionally he says he has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago he is depressed verse 7 he's made my chain heavy you know that heaviness that you can't get rid of and then he says he has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces he's been torn this way and that way. And it's just a very uh, dire situation that he has been through. Uh, verse 16, he's broken my teeth. And verse 17, there's no peace. There's no peace. No hope. It's in this that Jeremiah is learning about God's faithfulness. What a lesson. What, what was the worst thing you had to learn in school? Or if you're still in school, what, what is your worst lesson? For me, it was physical education. Especially up in the valleys, uh, we'd often be uh, playing rugby in the wind and the rain and the mud. And I don't think I learned anything. But Jeremiah, in the wind and the rain and the mud and the tears and the darkness and the pain, he was learning precious lessons that no, no one else and nothing else would teach him. But do you know what's worst about this affliction? Did you notice in the reading, it's not so much the things that are happening around Jeremiah, it's not even the things that are happening inside of him. What's the worst part of it? What's the worst part of it? Did you notice? It's not just I. He. He has set me in dark places, verse 6. He has besieged me. He has aged my flesh. He shuts out my prayer. Who is he referring to? This is the strange thing here. 
It's God. It's God who seems to be against him. Now, mark my words. It's God who seems to be against us. Have you ever had that experience? So maybe you've had problems galore. All of it coming at the same time. Maybe you've had your own problems within you. And maybe you've been able to come through those things. But the hardest experience, I think, for any Christian, uh, think of Pilgrim's Progress, which is a brilliant catalogue of the kind of experiences that we go through as believers. But the hardest to bear is when God seems to be against us. That's what Jeremiah was experiencing here. And he uses some very graphic language to describe it. It's as if heaven is shut up to his prayers. Have you ever had that experience? Not just that you can't pray or don't feel like praying, but as if heaven is like brass and your prayers are not reaching. It's horrible, horrible. And the metaphors he uses, he says, God is the predator. Verse 10, he's been to me a bear, a lion, and I'm the prey. Imagine feeling that God is going after you to hunt you down. Now, maybe that was our experience when we first came to know the Lord, the hound of heaven coming after us. But it's still a horrible experience, isn't it? Or think of it as God being the shooter with the bow and arrow. And poor Jeremiah is the target, the target. He has bent his bow, verse 12, and set me up as a target for the arrow. Jeremiah Bach, what horrible, horrible experiences you've been going through. In the school of affliction, the hardest lessons in the school of Christ. But listen, Jeremiah learned in the middle of all of that, that God is faithful. Have you learned that? Have I learned that lesson? Let's look at the verses that we're considering. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. The word Lord there is in capital letters. Do you know why? It's not for emphasis. It's the covenant name of God, Jehovah, the name that the Jews wouldn't mention. It's the covenant God, the God who isn't the one to change his dealings with us, the God who has covenanted with his son to deliver a people unto himself, a God in spite of our unfaithfulness is committed to remain faithful to the covenants. The covenant mercy of God, that, that's the amazing thing. His steadfast love. And so God allows us to go through these horrible experiences in order that we may realize that everything in this world, even our experiences of God, are unstable and up and down. The only thing that we can hold on to is his covenant faithfulness. There's a Welsh hymn which talks about 
God's covenant as being solid. Cavamod heath, cavamod cadarn do. Often when everything is giving way, you don't know who to turn to. You don't know who you can trust. But you can turn to the covenants, keeping God. The Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. And that's not just something you learn personally. We can learn it as a church, as a church. Uh, This is how Matthew Henry applies this. Uh, Listen to him here. The covenants, people of God, that's who we are through Jesus Christ. The church of God is like Moses' bush, burning, going through difficulties, yet not consumed. Whatever hardships it has met with, it shall have a being in the world to the end of time. Whether it's us as individual Christians, whether it's the church of Jesus Christ, individual churches or the church at large, it seems when these difficulties come that our light is going to go out. But no, this is God's plan to further his work in us. And actually, when you look at churches, especially under persecution, you find it is often in the fires of persecution they have shone the brightest. That's how God works. So it's in the middle of all of this that Jeremiah is learning, learning, learning about God's faithfulness. Have you stopped learning? May that never be the case. Uh, Some preachers think that they stop learning when they leave Bible college. May that never be the case of me. May that never be the case of you as a believer. May we be always disciples. Isn't that a good word to describe a Christian? A disciple. Somebody who is following. We're following our covenant head, Jesus Christ. And we always want to learn and grow And learn more and more of him. And it's often only when we are going through it that that happens. Uh, I don't think this is a Christian poem. uh, But there is a poem which puts it like this. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. It was a nice experience. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she. It was a horrible experience. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. There are things we can learn about ourselves and about our God, and they can only be learnt in the dark, treading sorrow's path. It was like that for our forerunner, our covenant head, Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry if I have to say this, it's going to be like that when we follow in his footsteps. But take heart, you can learn, you can learn. Now, I've got an anecdote here. I I heard it from a good source, uh, but uh, someone may say... uh, it's apocryphal, 
there was a powerful preacher in Wales in the middle of the 19th century called John Jones. It's only in Wales you'd have somebody with a name like that. John Jones. John Jones Talsarne. And John Jones worked during the week in the quarry. And it would be hard, hard labour. And one day they were working up in the quarry and they were discussing God being in complete control of everything. And the quarrymen were making fun of John Jones. They, they said, you really believe that God is in control of everything? And then it came to lunchtime, the lunch break. And when it came to lunchtime, John Jones suddenly realised that he'd forgotten his packed lunch. And it was quite a walk from the village to where the quarry was. And the quarrymen made even more fun of him. Ah, you're talking about a sovereign God who is faithful and looking after everything. And you've forgotten your lunch. So poor John Jones had to walk all the way back to the village to pick up his lunch. And by the time he got back to the quarry, the quarrymen weren't laughing. Their faces were grey. They were ashen-faced. Because the place where John Jones would normally have sat, a huge boulder had fallen on that place. So John Jones was right in terms of God being faithful. God, in his faithfulness, delivered John Jones from death. But in order to do that, he had to forget his lunch. Can you see? So God's faithfulness is a lesson Jeremiah learns in the middle of all of this. And then something else. Something else. Not just God's faithfulness, but God's mercies. God's faithfulness in the midst of trials, and then God's faithfulness in his mercies. We know uh, the uh, phrase off by heart because of the hymn we started our service Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. Your mercies, your compassions. Do you know who wrote that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? Thomas Chisholm. We know it because his name is under the hymn. Do, do you know what kind of life Thomas Chisholm had as a Christian? Do you know? He wasn't just writing Great is Thy Faithfulness as a, an academic exercise. He was in the same school as we are, as Jeremiah was. And he was learning about God's faithfulness in his problems. And he was discovering God's faithfulness producing mercies. It's in the plural. It's not a singular thing. Mercies, new, every morning. Do you know how that came about? Unlike John Jones, Talsadne, it wasn't a sudden experience of deliverance. It was just a long lifetime of following the Lord and just knowing, knowing his help. Uh, let, let me read what he said. This, this is uh, what he wrote uh, not long before he died. This is somebody who was a mature student in the school of Christ. He said, my income has never been large at any time, and this drove uh, me to bad health in my earlier years, which has followed me ever since. So he wasn't very strong. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God, and that he has 
given me, note the words, many, many wonderful displays of his providing care, which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. So we're not just thinking of one sudden, surprising deliverance like John Jones experienced, but day to day, this man who has come now to the end of his Christian life and he can look back and in spite of all the afflictions, he can say, God has been faithful, not just in the afflictions, but in his provision, day by day. I like that. God's mercies new every day, every day. Have you, I wonder, when you've been through it and you're learning about God's faithfulness, maybe a Christian who has chronic pain and you're so glad to wake up in the morning having had an uncomfortable night's rest. Mercy, mercy. I don't know, lockdown. How did you find lockdown? I better not say too much in case we have another one. Some people relished it. Others found it very difficult. But didn't you find, this was my little experience, in the middle of lockdown, when we couldn't go far away, I couldn't, for example, go up the mountains, but I suddenly found little things that were proof of God's mercies. Just Heath Park, I never realised that Heath Park was so beautiful. The little things, as we sang in the third hymn, praise in the common, the little things of life, the ordinary things, it's goings out and ins. So not just the miraculous deliverances as John Jones had, but the little things. That's what Jeremiah is thinking of. That's what Thomas Chisholm was looking back at. Thy mercies are new every morning. It's like fresh, a fresh bread every morning. And there's a bakery not far from where I live. And um, it's not quite your village bakery, I know. But it still smells a lush, the, the smell of fresh bread. And it's like that when maybe because uh, we have forgotten God, because everything has been going well. And then, like Jeremiah, he brings us through the lesson of affliction. And we feel as if we are just hanging on by the skin of our teeth. And yet in the middle of this, we are learning about God's faithfulness. And in all of this, when a little mercy happens. We would have taken it for granted before. But now, wow, this is God's care of me. I think that's where we fall short as Christians in the West. We woefully fall short. I'm not getting at us here, but I find it quite ironic. I think God has a sense of humour that our brothers and sisters in a country like Moldova, who really do not have all the benefits that we enjoy here, they don't even hold to what we would call a sound reformed theology. They are good old-fashioned sound Arminians, as they would have been called. 
So our theology would uh, have much more to say on the sovereignty of God as John Jones would have believed in. But we're often so slow, aren't we, to learn from that. It's as if our privileged uh, theology uh, makes us practically uh, forget about it. We often murmur. Whereas these people who maybe in a theological discussion wouldn't fully agree with the reformed doctrine of the sovereignty of God. My, they believe in his sovereignty. They believe in his providences. You see, what Jeremiah is doing here, what Chisholm was doing with uh, his hymn based on these verses, is turning his experience not into a moan, not a moan. That's what we tend to do, and there's nobody worse at doing that than a Welsh pastor, incidentally, right? (laughs) Gather Welsh pastors together on a Monday morning, and it is a moaning session often. This is how one commentary uh, puts it. The weeping prophets had fresh experiences of divine compassion. Even to wake up in the morning was to be reminded of God's care. He did not merely list God's attributes. He praised God for them so that his theology became a doxology. May that be true of us. May our theology, our knowledge of God and of his faithfulness and our experience, how we prove that in everyday life, may those things mix together, not cause us to be always complaining, but to be praising God, praising God. And aren't you praising God even today for this weather? How can you find something to praise God for? Well, the weather forecaster Ian McCaskill used to say that he loved the British weather. He loved the British weather because he lived for years in an arid place and the weather was all the same. It was always dry and sunny, boring. He loved the British weather because it was so changeable. You never knew what each day was going to bring. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, The Sunday school chorus, you know it. Do you? Count. These are all going to be different to all of us. Count your many blessings. So instead of thinking of something as, oh no, not that again. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. It's helpful to write things down. Write things down. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And then one one final thing. So God's faithfulness is being learnt in the middle of horrible, horrible trials. God's faithfulness is making Jeremiah realise that his little mercies are new every, every day. And then God's faithfulness is what? This is the crux. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for 
him. What does God's faithfulness do when we're in the middle of trials and when we're more amazed at the little things? What does it do in the end? My friends, it drives us to God, doesn't it? It drives us into the arms of our Saviour. It drives us into the place which is the source of every true blessing and happiness. Ultimately, I think this is the lesson that God is constantly teaching us. We, even as redeemed people, we still have this tendency to idolize. We tend to worship the creature. We can't help it. That's, that, that's what sin has caused. As John Calvin said, our hearts, they're just a factory of idols. And even as God's people, that's what we're like. That's what they were like in Jeremiah's day. And what God is doing in all of these things is weaning us off these idols and bringing us to the place, the blessed place. Yes, the frail place where we're having to trust in him alone. The Lord is my portion. Do do you know where this phrase, the Lord is my portion, comes from? It comes from the book of Numbers. So each tribe of the children of Israel were allocated a land. But one tribe didn't have an allocation. They were the tribe of Levi. And it was said of them, you don't own any piece of land because you own the Lord. What a wonderful thing. The Lord is your portion. You're not going to have a piece of land. You're going to have something better than that. You're going to have God himself. Now, that is our position as Christians. We don't have priests in this church. I'm not a priest, right? If you're visiting, I'm not a priest. Do you know who the priest is in this church? The priest in this church is every single believer. The priesthood of all believers. And my friends, we haven't been saved in order just to have a portion in this world. We're just traveling through this world. Whatever we have in this life, whether it's small or great, it's given to us. We're stewards. We're here to look after it. What is our portion then? Our portion is going to be in heaven. I'm telling you, God is preparing a place for you personally now. There is a mansion being prepared in glory. Some of our number have already gone ahead of us and they're beginning to enjoy their portion. So there is that. But more than that and better than that, God himself is our portion. God himself. Uh, In the church in Corinth, oh, it was sad. People were uh, making men their heroes. It was idolatry. Uh, And the church was being divided as a result. So some people were saying, we are for Paul. Others were saying, no, no, we are a bit better than that. We're for Peter. He was one of the original apostles. And some say, oh, no, no, we are for Apollos. He's the really powerful preacher who is amongst us at this moment. And then there were super spiritual ones saying, no, no, we are for Christ. And Paul said, you haven't, you haven't learned anything in the school of Christ You are still in the flesh, she says. And then he makes this statement. This is what I'm drawing your attention to. He says this. It's stupid to talk about who is for him, who is for that person. Look, he says, let no one boast in men. The end of 1 Corinthians 3. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours. Why? Because you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Your portion and my portion is Jesus Christ. 
And isn't it worth going through the darkest, the darkest of trials to enjoy Jesus Christ more? Isn't it worth crawling through the deepest mud, uh, the, the, the darkest of uh, days, uh, the fiercest of storms? Isn't it worth it if we can learn something more of Jesus Christ? Isn't it worth tasting the wormwood? The wormwood is mentioned by Jeremiah here. It's a bitter herb. And the gall, the gall was, uh, um, well, some say, um, it's uh, like the bile. Oh, isn't it worth even tasting that? If we can just taste more of Christ. Um, we looked this morning at broken cisterns. You know, cisterns, they... They were probably wells that couldn't hold water. <laughs> don't, don't think of bathrooms, wells that couldn't hold water. And do you know what one minister said, another 19th century minister, not in Wales, but in Scotland, Andrew Bonnard, he'd just lost his wife. And it was the anniversary of her death. And do you know what happened on the anniversary of his wife's death? He also lost a grandson. I don't know if it was the same day, but he had a double whammy. And do you know what he wrote? Broken cisterns, broken cisterns all around. But the fountain remains full. The fountain remains full. And what is the fountain? It's the portion, Jesus Christ. As William Williams learnt, and I think William Williams learnt this in the school of Christ. Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient. Beyond telling is thy worth. In thy name lie greater treasures than the richest found on earth. Such abundance is my portion with my God. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know whether you are going through dark, dark days or whether things are sunny for you spiritually at this moment. But whatever, whatever your states strive to know more of Christ to enjoy him as your portion and if there is any dear brother or sister here this evening who is going through the same things that Jeremiah experienced in this lamentation I just want to reassure you you're not alone you're not alone others in this fellowship have been through the same things and maybe going through the same things. And more than that, we have one who draws near to us. He is the man of sorrows, isn't he? Jeremiah is but a poor, poor reflection of Jesus Christ in this chapter. Who was it who drank the wormwood and the gall down to the bottom, down to the dregs, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have Christ as our portion? It was Jesus on the cross and May we ever keep close to him. As they sang, I think, or the orchestra played when the Titanic was sinking. Nearer, my God, nearer, my God, to thee, even though it be a cross that raises me. We all want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. We all want to know him. But that means knowing as well the fellowship of his sufferings. For his name's sake. Amen.